the following lecture, short lecture, is a just a little wrap up of Psych 3717 memory uh, for the winter term 2019. Uh, this is the last you'll hear from me until September on the podcast. So uh, I'll see you in September. Okay, uh, just to wrap things up, I just want to say a few things um, that are, to sort of wrap the course up some themes, because uh, I thought it made sense. Also, it's an excuse for me to record my 1200th lecture podcast. Uh, so, I think the first thing we can take, that you can take away from the, the, the course generally is that um, <coughs> behaviorists were wrong. <laughs> When you think about behaviorism, the idea that we should look at just stimuli and responses, that memory is nothing more, well, they would say an epiphenomenon. Right. It, it, it feels like you have, there's something going on there, but there isn't. It's pretty clear that's not correct. And that happened, of course, during the cognitive revolution in the 40s, 50s, 60s, that people realized the important thing was not that just behavior. It's also that behavior is the product of something, and that pro that 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 something uh, is memory. So it's really the study of representation of the external internally. In some respects, then, when you think about it, you start with sensation, and then you go to perception. And when you perceive things, what you're doing is putting order on sensation. Once you've put order on sensation, then you take that information and you represent the world. So I think that's what's happening here, and that's what we're studying. Cognition in general is about representation, but definitely memory specifically, right? And memory really is just the persistence of learning, right? So you're still connecting things asso associationally, if that's a word. Um, you're still making associations between things, so behaviors are right there, but the things you're connecting create representations. So it may be a distinction without a difference. In fact, the idea of the difference between sort of associationism, uh, behaviorism, and um, representation or cognition, because really, in the end, it still is all pretty much, I'm guessing, associational. Um, we certainly have different memory systems. So it's certainly the case that there are different systems for memory, generally you think of this, the, the simplest idea here, which is the sort of Atkinson-Schifrin notion. We know that's a vast oversimplification in Atkinson and Schifrin, it was a vast oversimplification. We eventually get things like search of associated memory and stuff to replace STM. And within STM, we've got, we've now, we now call that working memory, and we've got things like the visual spatial sketch pad, and the phonological loop, and semantic knowledge, Etc. Within long-term memory, this long-term store, we have things like Talving's episodic versus semantic. Right? So the idea that we have different systems for storing different kinds of information. This is knowledge about the world. This is stuff that is personal, is self-referential, is about what, when, and where episode, right? The old difference between knowing what you had for breakfast and knowing what breakfast is, okay? So, but the thing is, even within 
this distinction isn't perfect either, because we could talk about procedural and declarative memory. Procedural memory feels kind of like semantic memory, right? It's implicit. It's sort of about facts, but it's about how to do things. <coughs> so it's about remembering how to read and how to ride a bicycle. The example my student Joey used the other day at the, at the thesis conference was knowing how to throw a curveball is one thing. Knowing what a curveball is is something else. Knowing how to fill in blanks with the word curveball written there is an implicit form of memory, and that's probably procedural. And knowing when you threw a curveball, or if you can, like the last time you threw a curveball successfully, that would be on the side. So we got procedural declarative, we've got episodic semantic, we've got these different systems. And it's a little more, um, sort of looking for, uh, nailed down here within the working memory compared to how it works over here in the long-term memory area, sort of. Um, the reason, though, that we know we have these different systems is we have associations. So people get a bump on the head and they lose the ability to create new episodic memories. People get a lesion of some sort. They lose the ability to make up a side Sometimes, and we've seen some examples here of people losing the ability to have a, a visual-spatial sketch pattern, a phonological loop. So we know that if you can knock out one thing and not the other, it's probably the case that you have a separate system. But it's not just injuries uh, that show us this. It's these associations between different variables. So for example, Retention interval affects episodic memory. Okay, so remembering what you had for breakfast decays. Remembering what breakfast is actually doesn't decay. Right? Remembering that you saw a certain word decays. The ability to fill in that word, fill in the blanks to do word fragment completion, basically doesn't decay after seven days which is a pretty amazing thing, right? So we see that, and levels of processing is another thing that affects explicit memory and doesn't really heavily affect implicit memory. It's a little, it's not quite that clear, um, as shown by Chalice and Broadbeck, but uh, it's pretty clear that there isn't a huge effect, at least, of levels of processing. Now, if we have different systems, that must mean seems to follow to me that these things are stored differently. Makes sense, right? So if we have two different systems or three different systems, or I don't know how many different systems, memory systems seem to just keep popping out of the air. Every time you read a paper, new memory system, or it seems that way sometimes. And if that's the case, things must be stored differently. Right? So we can make some guesses about how they're stored and we can do that with things. The semantic stuff's obvious, right? We take a look at how semantic memory is stored, and you can look at things like why is a canary is a bird verified with a yes more quickly than is an ostrich a bird? Probably because it's about exemplars and having characteristics that are similar. So to me, that it's it's a little easier to figure out how semantic memories are stored, semantic networks. I don't know how episodic memories are 
restored. And I don't, and anybody who tells you they do, I think they're probably talking out of not their mouth. Um, I think they, they're making a good guess probably that it's a similar pattern of activation to when the memory happened. But we know how malleable episodic memories are. We had a bunch of presentations, two or three at least, about eyewitness testimony and how it sucks. And any of you who have taken any classes with Paul Dupuy, I'm sure he talks about that a lot. Right? So we know episode, uh, that, 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 that episodic memory is very malleable. And I've talked about flashbulb memories and how they're often wrong. So it can't just be stored with a pattern of activation in your brain that's exactly the same as when the thing happened or our memories would be perfect. So there's something else going on there too. So if you ever figure that out, um, and after the, you get your Nobel Prize, call me, just let me know. Um, one of the things that is an odd thing to think about is that in fact we actually have never really seen memory. We see the product. We see the products. <coughs> we do this all the time, by the way. This is not something that's a thing that we should, we should worry about. Because we do it all the time in, well, in science in general. You operationalize things. So you say, instead of this is what memory is, we say this, this product of memory, this, remembering this percentage of lists, or how many of uh, the words you remember from a list, that is obviously the direct product of, of, of this concept we have of memory. So it, we're gonna let it sit in for memory. See what I'm saying? So in fact, we're not really measuring the thing itself. We're measuring the thing that is probably has a 1.0 correlation and we're very close, right? If we, if we design an experiment properly to the concept of memory. So we operationalize stuff. I think in the future, um, we're going to see more, because the sort of neuro shift that's happening in psychology in general where for good or bad, everybody cares about brains now. I mean, I think usually it's good. I think sometimes it's people say, okay, put them in an MRI. Let's see what happens. They don't really know what they're doing. Um, that does happen. But it's to the point now where, you know, even in animal stuff, in, 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 in stuff with, with, with little birds, the Advanced Facility for Indian Research at Western, they have a bird MRI. They can put birds in an MRI. It's really cool. They got so much stuff there, it's crazy. Um, I, I can't, just imagine a building the size of our bioscience building just for studying birds. It's like heaven, really. If there was just a bar in there, I'd just go there. A bar. Anyway, so I think we are going to eventually get to the point where we can say, this is, look at this pattern of activation, when it's learned, when it's remembered, and we can start to get an idea actually of how things are stored. We can start to get even get an idea of how these semantic networks are stored. And that is coming. There has been some promising stuff on looking at false versus real memories in the DRM paradigm, which you've heard about, we talk about in other people in their presentations, and looking at PET scans even, and saying, look, it looks different, a real one looks different than a false one. So I think the neuro sort of shift that's happening in psychology, which is a thing, um, and if you don't like it, it's too bad. It's, it's coming down the street and it's gonna hit you in the head. Like it's, if you don't learn about how neurons work and how brains work, you're gonna be left out in the cold. That said, someone still has to design clever behavioral experiments. You still have to design a proper experiment 
to test memory, even if they're in an MRI. Any questions or comments on that? You good? A um, couple things. Uh, if you haven't handed your papers in, put them there in a way out. I will mark these as quickly as I can. Uh, I can't submit marks till Monday. I don't think. Until the exam period starts. I'm sure I'll have them till Monday. Because I don't want to take them with me to Florida. I'm going to a conference next week. They are coming with me. I have done that before. It's no fun marking in a hotel room while all your friends are like, we're going to a bar to talk about science and drink alcohol. Do you want to come? No, I have to mark these freaking papers. And also carrying on an airplane. You look good. You look very professional, though, on an airplane, taking up papers and marking. But it's a trip to Florida. So on the way back, it's just kids with freaking nice ears on and balloons everywhere. And I'm just going to work. Do some work. People taking off their shoes. I hate people take off their shoes on airplanes. I want to walk up to them and go, you know, we have, we live in a society, there is civilization, and it's crumbling because of you. <laughs> Put your shoes on. You're in public. No, but it's true. Yeah, they're, they're, they're ruining civilization as, as we know it. Um, right. Uh, also, if you haven't signed up for your classes yet, uh, I know some of you, this is it, which is interesting. But also, if, if, if you haven't, um, there's actually an advising thing going on right down right now in the Speakeasy, and there's free coffee and Timbits. So we can leave right now? Very shortly. Um, finally, I just want to say thank you very much. Uh, this course is fun to teach. All my courses are fun to teach because I like my job, and I'm, actually, I'm almost paid what I'm worth. Um, not, not, not quite, but it's, it's getting there. It's getting there. Uh, after all these years, it's finally getting there. Could have used being paid this much 10 years ago. Anyway, uh, just thank you very much for everything. I really appreciate the work you guys have put in. I really look forward to reading these papers. I, I like the presentations a lot. I had a lot of fun. And I hope um, that not only did you guys uh, have... Uh, Learn some stuff, but I hope you had some fun too. Thank you.
thanks for listening to the lecture. Um, all of the audio is available, of course, on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you're using. Just search for da uh, Dr. Dave Broadbeck's uh, Psychology Lectures at Algoma University, which is the most ungainly title ever. Uh, these are released under a sh uh, uh, Creative Commons copyright share like 3.0 Canada. Uh, you can't use these for commercial purposes. Um, you feel free to share them uh, and feel free to mash them up any way you want. But if you do that, that means I get to do the same thing with your stuff. Sort of like the GNU license. Um, I hope you learned something. But if you didn't, I, unless you're one of my students, I really don't care. Um, the music, by the way, for each uh, song, for each uh, uh, episode, <laughs> lecture, uh, is uh, available. They're all podcast, uh, like Podsafe music. So if you want to uh, find out about the bands, there's links on my website at people.aoc.ca slash broadback. Uh, if those links don't work, just contact me, and I'll find uh, I'll find out. Um, often I put links uh, actually in the uh, if you want to call them show notes or blog posts. So uh, you know, buy these people's music. They're they're making the stuff available out there. Uh, thanks everybody. We'll see you next time.